all of our folks live in the community, work in the community, attend church in the community. Um, they, they are just like you and me. They may not be verbal. They may not be ambulatory, but they are special. These are the population in need of support and services in the community. Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. There are a lot of things that we take for granted, like being able to walk out the door of our home whenever we want, hop in a car and drive to work or the grocery store, or get a job that allows us to make a living. For some people, though, these basic things are extremely difficult to do at best. In particular, such things pose an enormous challenge to people with intellectual and physical disabilities. Today we're talking to Arthur Ginsburg, the CEO and president of CRI, a 45-year-old Arlington organization that last year provided care to over 1,000 individuals with mental health needs and developmental disabilities. Arthur joins us to talk about how, through CRI's programs, individuals can exert a greater control over important decisions in their lives, gain respect in their communities, and achieve a level of independence that years ago was unimaginable. Arthur, welcome to Grace and 30. Thank you for having me. When I think about CRI and the work you guys do, the word that comes to mind is dignity. It seems like you instill dignity in the people that you serve. Is that true? And tell us what it's like to, to serve folks like this that are pretty much rejected by a lot of people in society. Well, we, we certainly uh, support and uh, respect and provide uh, services to folks with uh, mental health and developmental disabilities. And treating them with respect and dignity is at the forefront of the services that we provide. So you say your, your I think it's your tagline, is uh, choice, respect, and independence. How did you come up with that particular phrase? Well, actually, we spent a lot of time thinking about how did we want to present ourselves to the community. And uh, we spent a lot of time thinking about choice, respect, and independence is the core uh, in terms of our values of the services we want to provide to our population. So describe a, a, a typical person that you serve. Well, I don't know if there's ever a typical <laughs> person, but again, we, we provide services to both the uh, uh, mentally ill population and folks with developmental disabilities. So again, it's two different populations. The uh, On the mental health side, the services that we provide are generally uh, through a contract that Arlington County provides and awarded us many years ago. And we provide several layers or several different types of services to the folks on the mental ill that are mentally ill within Arlington County. On the developmental disability side, we offer, again, wide variety of uh, services from residential day and uh, behavioral services to those folks as well. And when you say residential day, p people can come in during the daytime and get coverage while their family members are working and then they get picked up later on in the day? Again, generally uh, on the day side, folks either reside in a home, mm -hmm. supported, it could be a home that CRI operates, and that goes back to that tagline. They could choose us to be their day provider. They could choose another provider to provide their residential services. But there are a lot of people that live at home, have a disability, and during the day, they we provide those services to them. I, I looked at some of the stories that you had on the website, and you know I, I saw this 
young man named Emmanuel, and he talked about he hardly ever left his home. He had sort of one-to-one care. There was a caregiver with him a lot of the time, but he had no friends. He never got out of the home, and it was a really frustrating, lonely life to him. And then he started coming to, to your program. And his family, they used this term. They said that it was immeasurable relief that they felt given the way your company cares, the sort of care that you provided to him. And he came out of his shell. They made it a point to build friendships with him. And he just talks about how excited and, and he's laughing and happy he is. I mean, life has become much better for him. This has got to be like an incredibly gratifying thing for, for you and the people that work there, right? Well, I, I appreciate you looking at our website. So that that's a plus. Uh, we hope there's more and more people. So there are many stories like that. Again, folks that resigned at home, and uh, they probably are on a waiting list. So, so the other thing I should mention, with folks with an intellectual disability, the services that we provide, it's funded through the home and community-based waiver. So the folks that we provide services are generally um, Medicaid recipients that have a waiver for us to provide their service. Unfortunately, there are about 12,000 people right now in the Commonwealth of Virginia mm-hmm. that are on a waiting list. So those folks that are fortunate enough to have a waiver and have the ability to choose, again, choice, uh, choose us for their services. And depending upon the waiver, the services that they are interested in receiving, they could choose CRI to provide those services. Years ago, I mean, I'm familiar with with movies like Cuckoo's Nest or whatever, where people were in institutions and they didn't paint a very attractive picture of those sort of things. I mean, the way what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep people in their community and near their families and just give them a, a, an environment that's that's a, just a more positive, uh, happy environment, correct? Correct. Uh, and certainly with the uh, folks with a developmental or an intellectual disabilities, the Commonwealth of Virginia has been closing their institutions. They've agreed to close five of their six remaining institutions. And they're called in the Commonwealth Training Centers. And those folks, as they move into the community, one of their choices is CRI. So over the past uh, four or five years, we've probably uh, accepted and support now at least 25 people that used to reside in an institution. Additionally, the state, uh, the, the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services, awarded us a contract about a little over a year ago, $2.8 million dollars, to provide capacity in Northern Virginia for folks with a developmental disability. And that was to for us to open four homes, specifically for people either moving back in state that were placed out of state because it wasn't capacity, or folks that are living in training centers, and as those training centers close, moving back into their community, mm-hmm. moving back into Northern Virginia. And so we've uh, opened up one home, we're in the process. We just purchased the second home. We have to renovate the home. And again, uh, when we're done, we'll have four homes specifically that the state has designated to provide capacity in the community. These are generally uh, single-family uh, homes in, in one of the five counties here in northern Virginia for us to support four people. So this trend kind of away from institutional care to something more like the CRI model, how long has that been going on? Uh, the movement's been for a while. I mean, it, it's 30, 40 years? Uh, probably not quite 40 years, but again, a lot. Uh, certainly, uh, the, when that settlement agreement, that agreement that the state closed those training centers, I think has been within the last five years. And is this got to be a positive development, right? People are getting better care and better service, correct? Correct. 
it's a, it's wonderful for the individuals. Stories like you mentioned. Uh, there are other stories that I could share. People that have lived their entire life in a, in an institution, and now have chosen CRI to be their provider. And this is the first time they could be 50, 60 years old that have never lived in a home, hmm. never lived in the community, never went out went shopping, shopping malls, movie theaters, whatever, just never had those opportunities until they moved out of the training center. Yeah, it's interesting. We never think about our limitations when my parents got very sick and declined and they couldn't get out. If I just took my dad to a haircut in a wheelchair and rolled him around the mall, it was a huge, huge thing. Um, just you know, just a wonderful positive experience for him. So you worked for a number of years in the for-profit sector. I did, and then you cut over to the nonprofit because you kind of saw things. I mean, I guess the model there was not so much about care focus as driving profitability. You're happy with what you're doing now? Do you see just you know quality care being given in the nonprofit sector? Absolutely. We are we are a mission-driven organization. We are committed to providing services to individuals, both on the mental health and with a developmental disability. And I'm thrilled to have made that decision, as you mentioned. Career-wise, I made a big career change about uh, 20 years ago, left the for-profit sector, moved into the nonprofit sector, and I've been uh, very happy with that decision ever since. Who was driving the institutional model before? Was it for-profit companies behind that, or was it driven by the state, or...? Who, who built those institutions and managed them? Generally, it was a state. And, and again, back then, those were cutting edge. That that mm. was the understanding. We're getting smarter. Yeah. We're getting Thank better you. at these things. Do people, I, you were talked about some of the challenges you're facing, and I want to make sure we talk about that. And you mentioned two big challenges you have right now. One was finding workers and then paying a livable wage. Let's spend a little bit of time on each one of those. It's, I have to imagine you have to find, especially with the direct support people, people working directly with your, your, the individuals that live in your places. That's a special job. I mean, you need a special person for that. I mean, what are you doing to try to find people? You really have a sort of a crisis, a workforce crisis right now, right? Well, thank you. And, and we, we do refer to it now as a workforce crisis. We are having a very difficult time recruiting and retaining what we refer to as a direct care professional or direct support professional, DSP. And these DSPs are the lifeline for us that provide the direct care to the individual, especially in the residential setting. And, and we offer many residential settings here in Northern Virginia and in Richmond. And so this workforce crisis, we, with the low unemployment in Northern Virginia and with the living, with the wage that we are offering our staff, which again, is determined by the reimbursement by Medicaid, since we are completely publicly funded as a as an agency, we reply. Those funds uh, are based on a certain wage. We offer that wage, and right now that is it is so competitive for somebody that wants to do that direct care, that direct service. Um, very difficult. So before, I mentioned about those four homes that award that we receive from the state. Unfortunately, our, one of our our biggest challenges we purchase the home, we have the individuals who have selected us to provide the service. Unfortunately, we've had to delay the opening of both the first home and now the second home, and the delay is because we don't have enough staff to staff the home. Have you thought of creative ways? I mean, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin to try to find people. I mean, and the issue with the wage is just, it's a big issue. 
I'm, well, again, we, we've been we're trying to be as creative as possible. Job fairs, advertising, indeed, you know, social media. I think the two big for us, the two biggest areas are self, family, and friend, and, and employees. We seem to get the largest number of referrals for people that want to work, do this kind of work, either family, friends, or employees. Ah, see, that's I was thinking that when you were talking because those are the people that are going to be passionate. They they, they have someone they love, and they want to see certain, they're like, hey, I'm going to commit my life to this. I'm going to go into this. It becomes sort of a higher purpose thing. So I bet you you think most of your employees that are doing that kind of work come from those situations, the family members of people who've had a disability? or I, I think it's either they, they there's a connection. Mm-hmm. The connection can be a family member, or the connection can be a family member with a disability, or or a family member that works in this field, works with people, and 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 they understand, and that so that's another connection. I think the other is is people just doing their research, sort of like when you went to our website. So I think the largest referral source for us is sell family, friend, and employees. The next next, believe it or not, is is them doing an internet search looking for jobs, looking for opportunities. So those seem to, seem to be the two biggest areas in terms of referrals. But uh, for me right now, you, you mentioned our other um, uh, opportunity for us is to pay our staff, especially the direct care staff, a living wage. So we've been uh, involved with a, a big advocacy campaign We are where we have been reaching out directly to our state senators and our state delegates in the districts where we operate programs and homes and provide services. And we're up to about 20 of these legislators. We've invited them to the homes. We invited them to the programs. We've had our staff share with them what it's like to try to live and work on the wages that we are currently offering. So we have them pleading. A lot of our direct care staff have multiple jobs, work many hours a week in order to make ends meet. And we are pleading with our state senators and state delegates to please increase the Medicaid reimbursement that we receive in the governor, what what, what they, they approved the governor's budget in January, February of 2020. We're hoping that they will consider a Medicaid, what we're referring to as a Medicaid refresh of the rates we receive for folks with an intellectual and developmental disability. So what do you think the probability of that happening is, and how soon? Well, we're, we remain positive. Uh, that, that's part of our advocacy. Good um, we will continue. We have another um, delegate that's coming to visit us the end of uh, uh, November. There are a few more that we haven't, uh, that asked us to wait till after the election, which is on Tuesday, and because uh, they're campaigning right now. But we, we, again, we will have reached well over 20 folks by the time we're, by the time they go into session, they will have seen us, they will have visited the programs, they will have met with the staff, and, and we're, we're hopeful. Do you ever, I know you do partnerships, we'll probably talk a couple minutes about Grace Community Church, but do you ever take private donations and use those funds to pay uh, wages, to pay salaries to people? As a nonprofit, we do fundraising. Okay. And we are actively engaged with fundraising. But given our overall budget at the moment is a bit close to $50 million, uh, 99.5% of our funds are public funds. It's either Medicaid, state, or local county funding for the services we provide. So it's any kind of an increase is so dependent upon that public funding 
that whatever private funding that we do receive would be supplemental to the services we provide. So I don't think we could, with 600-plus employees, be dependent upon the private dollars that we raise would put a tremendous amount of pressure on us as an organization. So we, we are always, we, yes, we, we, we fundraise. We have several major events during the year. But for us, that I, I don't want to say it's supplemental, but those unrestricted dollars will go a long way, but not directly to wages. Maybe somebody's listening in their car driving home right now, and they, they have a relative who's disabled in some sense, and, and they have a heart for this. How can they reach out to you if, if people are interested in starting to work for, with folks like this and serve them? How do they get a hold of you? How they, the best way to, to do some research, if you're interested in need of services, go to our, our website, which is www.mycri.org. All the information, phone numbers, referrals, you can make the referral right on on the website, and that information will get to our director of admissions, and she would quickly respond to that uh, to that uh, question. Do you, the, the people that live in some of your facilities, do they ever actually work, do work for, for, for wages, you know, either from the facilities or actually go out somewhere and do work, you know, basic tasks or something that they can actually be part of the workforce? Depending upon their interest and level of ability, of course. I think everybody wants to work and everybody is interested in working either paid or volunteer. So depending upon depending upon the individual, that is what they would aspire to do, yes. So would you call this, we talked a little bit about this on the phone, I mean, you're, you're a healthcare guy. You, you started out looking at uh, med school and then you, you saw them, organic chemistry or whatever, <laughs> those sort of classes, and you were like, I don't think so. You got into healthcare management, correct? This just seems like a higher calling for you, right? It's just something that's in your heart. You really enjoy doing this kind of work? Well, as you mentioned, I guess I can publicly say that uh, in uh, undergraduate school, sophomore year, organic chemistry did me in. I, I didn't just wa- look at it. I was in the course, organic chem one, and let's just say I didn't have the grade necessary to go on to medical school. So I was interested in staying in the healthcare field. Fortunately for me, the school had an undergraduate degree program in healthcare administration or healthcare management, and then I went on to graduate school. So yes, I would say that I am interested in. And now at CRI, we I view CRI as a long-term care provider of services. Uh, the folks, if they choose us to be their provider, most of the folks will choose us and stay with us, and we will support them for the rest of their lives if they choose to. They will age in place. So a lot of our homes, this goes to, a, again, what we've a, a commitment and where some of the private dollars could if we receive. We've, we've made a commitment to renovating our homes and making them accessible for the people that live in the homes. We talked about partnerships, possibly. We, Grace Community Church, that's where I go to, to church. They came alongside you guys. They're, they're sort of committed to a, a capital campaign to try to help you out. Why don't you describe that relationship? So this is a blessing, and and uh, how they came to – this was a cold call. I received a, a phone call from one of the members of the church. Uh, they were interested in doing a, something for Arlington and enhancing the Arlington community. They were interested in doing a capital campaign, and after several meetings and much interest and much discussion, Grace Community Church has embarked on a capital campaign, part of their community, to raise money – for uh, one of the homes that we are building now in Arlington County, and it's a replacement home. Again, this going back to the, it's an accessible home. 
uh, and uh, Grace Community Church is their campaign. They're, they've made a commitment, and they're hoping to achieve their commitment of $250,000 by the end of this uh, calendar year. And all of that money will go towards the construction of the home, which when we are done, which will be in early uh, 2020, we will refer to that home as Grace Home. Ah, that's great. And and so is this the only time someone has reached out and done something like this, or at least on this scale? Certainly uh, in my uh, in my capacity at CRI, this is, I would put this in a very unusual range. They're, again, it's a, uh, their members seem to be very supportive. They've raised about 60% of their goal so far. I've met with the pastor and, and uh, they're, they're committed by completing their campaign by Christmas. And that, uh, that's uh, truly uh, a blessing for us. Has that gotten your juices flowing in how to maybe create other creative partnerships? You, you'd actually proactively go out to other parties or something? And we, we are always open to meeting and being active in the community, being active with uh, other organizations, other providers, other churches. Uh, um, we also have a very robust volunteer program. So uh, companies... Businesses that want to volunteer, do something for the community, can contact us. And we have lots of community volunteer projects during the year at our homes and at our programs. And uh, so we at any have a volunteer project uh, for you if you're interested in calling us. Thank you. <laughs> Is there something you'd like listeners to know about the people that you serve? People with these disabilities, when they showed the video at uh, Grace Community Church that when they decided to work with you guys and and they just showed interviews of the people living there. And it was just amazing. I mean, they're just so filled with joy and thanksgiving for for something basic like this, for people you know, caring for them and giving them a home to live in, letting them be near their family and just just loving them and taking care of them. It's it's amazing. What do you want people to know? I mean, when I see them, I just think joy. They're just amazing. Is there something you want people to know about those folks, sort of dispel any misconceptions or perceptions about them? All of our folks live in the community, work in the community, attend church in the community. Um, they, they are just like you and me. They may not be verbal. They may not be ambulatory, but they are special. And I, again, want to give a big shout out to all the staff that support them, because without the staff that support them, we couldn't do, provide these these valuable services. So these are the a very, very, um, a population in need of support and services in the community. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's wonderful. It's a, Again, it's a job that not many people can do, do well. What about challenges? Do you want to challenge the listeners about anything? Is there something you want to make sure you share and you haven't talked about yet, or, or maybe a call to action for listeners? I, again, I think our biggest call action it would be to advocate for on behalf of all of the providers in the Commonwealth of Virginia right now, providing these services to advocate to be able to pay staff a living wage. That 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 I think that is our big call. Advocate. And, and the ones who approve the, the budget for the Commonwealth of Virginia are our legislators. And to, to make sure that they understand it is important because this is a vulnerable population. And, and to support them in the community, we need to pay our staff a living wage. And you got 650 employees, about. Yes. How many of those are the direct support, the people working with uh, uh, residents and 
Oh, I would say about 400 of those or so are direct support professionals that provide the care both for and support people with developmental disabilities and also with mental health issues. So your volunteers, not many of those do work directly with uh, residents, for example. Do, do they do other jobs or is it a mixture of both? Uh, that 650 does not include volunteers. Okay. And the volunteers generally do not provide direct care services. They provide more support services, usually projects, repairing homes, uh, renovating the homes, doing landscaping work, those kind of pro- or our projects for, with for the homes, developing uh, benches, tables. So not providing direct care. No, generally the volunteers do not do that. So people sometimes come in and may, might paint the house on the inside or do paint some landscaping or whatever is needed. That is correct. We so, can find a project for you. Okay, so so you'll you'll take you know any and all volunteers. If people are interested, they can come on in. Absolutely. So what's the greatest job satisfaction out of this? What's, what's the thing that really floats your boat and makes you excited about the work you're doing? Well, I, I think the, what, what, float, what, what excites me is being able to provide quality services in the community to a, as, as large of a population as we can. And at the end of the day for CRI, if our revenues are greater than our expenses, which is our biggest challenge, if we can, at the end of the day, have... Uh, some our revenue to be greater than our expenses to provide these services, I feel satisfied. Great. So, so you want to be able to help these people and survive doing it, sustained help with the services, correct? Correct. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Arthur. And I love the work you guys are doing in the community. If people want to find out more about CRI and see if they're volunteer opportunities, visit them on the web at mycri.org. That's mycri.org. A recording of this program can be found at the Grayson30.com and WERA.FM websites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed, an author, signing off from the Grayson30 radio program on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.